Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello everybody. Welcome to Homo sapiens. I'm not alone today as I sit here presenting this episode of the podcast for you because I am joined by somebody who I have admired for a long time, somebody who is a beautiful, wise, funny, sweet, lovely person who has inspired so many people. You're a queer hero. It's John Paul Bramer, who is the internet's agony uncle, I'm going to say, and (laughs) The creator of advice column, would you call it? Hola Papi. Hola Uh Papi. Um, And prolific tweeter when you feel like it. (laughs) Thank you. I was listening to that lovely description. I was like, who's that? (laughs) (laughs) It's you, silly. Um, It's uh, actually the the way you describe, or I mean, I don't know if this is still how you describe, but... uh, Hola Papi is the preeminent deranged advice column from writer and author John Paul Bremer. If you've ever wanted advice from a Twitter-addled gay Mexican with anxiety, here is your chance. Do you still stand by those words, JP? You know, I, I feel compelled to, yes. Okay. I'm, lo- I'm locked into them now. <laughs> and JP has written a memoir, really, but it's sort of the, the thread of it is about for anyone listening who who doesn't know um the thread of it is uh each chapter is kind of someone asking you an advice question and you answer it by delving into a memory of your own and Ooh. it's just wonderful and warm and contains multitudes i think is what i think about you you can be sweet and then someone said about my husband once um who he worked with they said you know you can be butch and bitchy within a split second and I love that about you and I'm not suggesting that's the same as you but I think in a sentence you can contain sweetness and humor and then totally send someone up and then totally give them a hug it's it's wonderful (laughs) it's a beautiful book so anyone who hasn't read it go get yourselves a copy yes please what we've been asking our listeners is a question that I know you have brilliant opinions on which is have you ever been in love with a straight friend Mm. and you've all been writing in on the subject and we'd love to go into all of that with you today if that's okay among many other things i'm sure um yeah but first i was just going to read an email that we just got um hi my name is katie she her in brackets and i came to see the live show in london a little while back Brilliant. Thank you, Katie. I had the absolute pleasure of speaking to Chris. That's me. In the interval, when I had the opportunity to say thank you for all the joy and knowledge this podcast has given me. 
Bless you, Katie. I'm from a small town and I and a conservative family. I have always known that I am queer, but due to growing up in the aftermath of Section 28 and general heteronormativity, I suppressed any feelings of queerness for many years. An example of this is that my parents used to say that someone was G-A-Y instead of gay, so spelling it out. Also the name of a club. Did your parents know that? Um, which always made me think being LGBTQ plus was something to be ashamed of. Well, it's not, Katie. Uh, fast forward to my late teens, I was dating a string of men who were no good for me. Mm, I can relate. This happened for many reasons, but I think it was partly because if you're taught that being with men is your only option as a woman, you will date any seemingly half-decent man you can find to appease those around you. This, of course, comes with the painful cost of invalidating yourself in order to keep the balance of society happy. Mm -hmm. I moved home halfway through the pandemic to live with my mum. Also halfway through the pandemic, I started a master's in general gender studies and a friend recommended that I listen to Homo sapiens. That's this podcast. This time in my life during lockdown was a blissful bubble where I was learning about queer theory by day and listening to Chris and Alan talk to queer icons by night. It was simultaneously wonderful to immerse myself in a culture that felt like home, but also painful to realise how much joy I had lost in the years of my life when I was not out although i am now out to most people until recently my mum still did not fully understand what it meant for me to be a queer bi woman as my partner is a man mm -hmm. this is the best part a couple of months ago we were driving to see family with just me and mum in the car she suggested we listen to a podcast so i put on the homo sapiens episode with tan france one of my favorites uh, she absolutely loved it and we now put on an episode whenever we are in the car together through listening to the show, thoughtful and moving discussions, I even plucked up the nerve to apply for a job at the largest LGBT rights organisation in Europe, where I now work and have a wonderful group of queer friends. This is amazing. I'm still working through a lot of queer shame, aren't we all, dear, to fully accept myself. But I went from not being out and being full of discomfort to spending my days talking about LGBTQ plus inclusion for a, li for a living in the space of a year. I mean, this is remarkable, Katie. P.S. My mum is now a fantastic LGBTQ plus ally and we talk all the time about queer life and culture best wishes katie wow i'm so happy that that ended where it did because i'm so used to receiving ola poppy letters where i'm just like things are kind of going along and at the end i'm like oh gosh it's gonna get bad something horrible is about to happen <laughs> where do and, i come in and um, i have to solve it <laughs> exactly that was so lovely and great to hear it really is lovely and i think it's so nice to hear that people can change your family can change and their opinion can change and they can go from being not understanding to being you know a fantastic ally who wants to talk about queer life all the time and you you, you said a, a really poignant thing which was about how your abuelo ab abuelo yeah abuelo yeah um had wanted to be a writer but had not pursued that dream because he wanted to, he had to look, provide for his family. And yeah. when you then wrote your book, you wanted to tell him about it, but you couldn't because he didn't know you were gay. Is, is that, is that right? That is right. Yeah. It is complicated. <laughs> and is it still complicated? <laughs> Very much. So it was interesting. Uh, I remember when I first started writing for the Washington Post, one of the first stories that I wrote for them was about uh, Mexican food and Mexican restaurants and mm. how people tend to seek out authenticity in Mexican restaurants, um, for better or for worse, often for worse. Um, it was a story basically about how people punish uh, Mexican restaurants for veering away from what they stereotype to be authentically Mexican cuisine or authentically Mexican restaurants. They don't let them experiment. They don't let them, you know, 
mm. uh, step outside the box. And so uh, it was put in print and it had my name on it. It had my, um, you know, right at the front, very prominently placed. And uh, my mom showed my abuelo and he was so proud and he took a picture with it. I still have the picture of him like holding the physical copy mm. of the Washington Post up. And it was just interesting that on that level, you know, uh, he and I share this sort of ethnic identity and this uh, identity of being Mexicans. And that was something that was like very easy to bring to him. And then when it comes to something like my book, which obviously I consider even more of an achievement, um, it, it, it was something that I really couldn't share uh, or not couldn't, but we're just at a place right now with our family dynamic where it's just like, we don't know how much longer Abuelo has on this earth with us. Um, mm-hmm. There are many barriers in place, not just with social values and the way he views, let's say, like the LGBT community, but also, you know, there are cultural ones, linguistic ones. He's from a very different world, a very different time. And mm-hmm. he's also got some uh, mental things going on where he's not exactly as present as he used to be. And so it's mm-hmm. almost like, it's almost like I've lost my little window of time to really connect with him in that way. And it just makes me very sad. But at the same time, I I do think that every time I have an opportunity like my book, or I get to engage in this life that I'm living, that's kind of because of him. That's something that we share. That's something Mm -hmm. that we, it's not something that needs to be expressed or put into words. It's just something that we live out every single day. And so I'm, I'm very grateful to have that. Yes. For the first time in my life, I brought a man home for Christmas, last Christmas. Um, and it, it's, a, it's such a funny thing. Like, I feel like every family has their own weird, unique rules to their little universe that don't make a whole lot of sense <laughs> to everyone else, yes. where it's sort of like, you know, we could talk all day about, like, what it means to come out to your parents or what it means to have a supportive family. But at the end of the day, it's all so specific and weird and everyone's (laughs) family has their own little dream logic (laughs) at play. And so for me, it was just like, I was in this room with my family, all my Mexican cousins, my abuelos there, uh, my parents are there and this man is there. And I never think for a moment to like, not kiss this man or hug this man. And we were just like being very affectionate right in front of my whole family and my abuelos there too. And that's not something I even thought about. So I'm having all this like internal struggle with um, whether or not I want to present this part of myself to my abuelo. Meanwhile, I'm just like full on kissing a man in the same room that he's in and not even thinking that those two things are in conflict. It's just very like very strange, very like abstract, absurd kind of realities going on. But that's how families are. There are things that go on inside families that are hard to explain with language. It's all just like they have their own vibes and they have their own weird little um, incongruities at play. Yes. And I remember you saying that you contained, I can't remember quite the description, but you were at a Gaga concert before you were out, and she said, "Are there any mm-hmm. straight men here?" And you clapped because I did. you said, "We can live in denial or something." I can't remember what it was he said. <laughs> um, a cognitive dissonance is a friend it. of mine. I think is what I said. But also, that you know, in retrospect, it. I look at that and I'm like, maybe that was nice allyship for the straight men who were there. Maybe they could feel less alone also, <laughs> by seeing me clap. <laughs> well done to the twelve people who clapped in that ten thousand person arena because it would be scary i would say i would i would love to have a reunion with the other people who clapped um, they, do you know concert. what 
they were probably all queer in some respect. I was about to say, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it would just be like my grinder grid. <laughs> they were just like, uh, like, oh hey, God, girls, yeah, I remember. Remember how fun that was? <laughs> yes. And I was really interested about the name Ola Puppy of your column. Tell me a bit about it, because you sort of started Ola Puppy as, as a joke, right? Yes, it is a joke that went way too far and culminated <laughs> into a book at the end of the day. Um, it was like, what was going on with Ola Poppy was that I was sort of this broke freelancer and I was trying to make ends meet and I had just come off this, um, I won't say a horrible stint and insult my hometown like this, but I did have to like sublet my apartment in New York and go back home to the farm in Oklahoma to stay with Mm. my parents for a while and work from there because I was just out of money. Um, and so I eventually got offered this job at NBC um, as a, uh, they called it associate producer, but it was really just sort of like newsroom lackey. Like I would just put down <laughs> some stories that they didn't want to do under like the LGBT and Latino umbrella. But then at the same time is that I was hunting down every single freelancing opportunity that came my way. One of them happened to be for this new um gay media outlet called Into, which was launched by Grindr at the time. And this is a, a time in um, <laughs> American history that I would love to write more about. I think there should be a whole book about the rise of these little queer media empires that kind of mm. lived and died overnight. Um, because, you know, like at the time, the big thing was like, oh, what if we launch an LGBT vertical? What if we launch the LGBT news outlets? And there was like three or four of them running around at the same time, all very short-lived all with their own little weird dramas amongst each other, which I find very compelling. But in Hmm. any case, Grindr um, launched into, which is a play on words, because, you know, on Grindr, it's not uncommon to ask someone, what are you into? Um, So it was just sort of this clever little title that uh, drew from the lingo people use on the app. And so for me, when my friend Matthew Rodriguez was like, you should pitch a column, um, I had a few goals in mind. One was to maximize the number of articles and columns I could write every week because that equaled more money. And I was yeah. broke, I have to emphasize again. So the issue was I was already worked to my absolute limits. Um, so I didn't really trust myself to come up with a new topic every single week, which is sort of how the advice column format came to me because I was like, oh, they will supply me <laughs> with a yeah. prompt. They will yeah. give me something to write about and I can just like... Uh, use the question as a sort of um, as a way to go on an op-ed more than actually write an advice column because you know I thought maybe they could ask me stuff about body issues and I can just give my opinion on gay body issues or I thought they would ask about like you know um, am I gay enough like I write a little op-ed on that and Mm. in order to compensate for the fact that I didn't really know what I was talking about I was going to rely on humor so it was going to be this joke advice column where the whole thing is like, what if dear Abby was a gay Mexican man on grinder? Like that was the joke. And I used Ola Papi because the way that into had named itself, I was really interested in that. And I wanted to sort of keep going and make my own little joke. And so I thought, what's something that people say to you a lot on grinder? Um, and the answer is Ola Papi. (laughs) It is something that people would often send to me. You know, I, um, in some ways satisfy that weird sort of fetishistic idea of a 
gay Latin guy and that I'm like, I'm a bigger guy. In the pictures I take for Grindr, I look rather mean. <laughs> so I think that, um, I, I think that What's people that found purpose? it easy. <laughs> Yeah, maybe I think that's just my face. I think that I'm just. You have a lovely face. I won't hear that. Thank you. Um, I I think it's lovely too. I just tend to, um, when I'm taking pictures, go very stoic. I don't know if it's some sort of like ancestral urge of like they're trying to take my soul through this camera. I need to just like look completely emotionless. It, it's so weird. Like Mexicans do this a lot as well. Like they're always like laughing their asses off off camera, and then once you train it on them, they just get very. Catholic and stoic. Oh, I love that. I love <laughs> um, it's, that. It's, it's, it's very silly. But yeah, so for me, I think that I very easily fit into so what someone's idea of like the Latin poppy stereotype would have been. And so I got it a lot on Grindr. And I thought it would be very funny to sort of turn that on its head and name it my advice column after it. It's that kind of um, the fetishization of Latino men as being dominant. Passionate. Uh, passionate, yeah. Um, intense. Well, and therefore you're being, I don't know, like sometimes I have was when I was single, I sometimes I'd be literally having sex with someone. I'm sorry to Katie's mum who's listening to this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I would just be like, I don't think you're having sex with me. I think you're having sex with just an idea that you've got in your head. Do oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Very common. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Let's have a look at this poll. So listeners, we asked the listeners and we said, have you ever been, love, been in love with a straight friend? So this is men, women and people who define as none of the above. Um, yes, 64% of people said yes. And for example, Stephen said yes in capital letters. It was just before university and it was a vicar's son, Stephen. He was slightly camp, so I wrongly presumed he was gay. <laughs> Oh, God, it happens to us all, Stephen. Um, he also had a girlfriend. I totally fell for him and really got on his nerves, I think. Poor guy. Not poor guy, <laughs> lucky guy. Um, but you have spoken, JP, about that kind of obsession with mask for mask culture, which is where mm -hmm. gay men seek straightness in each other. And that's kind of where the mask for mask thing comes from. Is that right? Yes. And, you know, I, I think that... During the time when I first started Ola Papi, I had a, I won't say a different set of politics than I do now. I think I've just refined them quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I think that when I was first starting out writing and first like hitting it big on the scene, it was like we, we had a slightly different set of buzzwords at the time that I found altogether appealing. So, you know, like um, mm. the idea of toxic masculinity, for example, which is a very real concept and obviously has real world implications, was just like 
a kind of easy thing to just throw out as an explainer for a lot of things. So I could just say like, oh, that's toxic masculinity and sort of like begin and end the conversation there, um, which is very handy if you're trying to write something very quickly and put it out on the internet. But, um, (laughs) you you know, I've sort of gone more galaxy brain with quite a few things since then. And one of those things is just, you know, this question of is it even possible to escape idealizing someone, especially when you go into the bedroom with someone, it's sort of like, you know, how much fiction are you bringing to that person's body, to your interaction Mm -hmm. with them? What are you sort of hoping to get out of the exchange? Because I think that a lot of people actually look to hookups and look for um, validation in another person, either finding them attractive or specifically what kind of person, you know, like a person who's maybe slightly out of your league in your mind might give you that sort of, oh, okay, maybe I'm attractive too. Uh, mm-hmm. We bring a lot of psychosexual dramas and intensities to those kinds of dynamics and relationships, and I'm just finding it altogether more complicated than I thought it was in the past. I don't think it's just like oh, I'm idealizing straight men because I think that if I can bag a straight man, that means that I am, like, an attractive, masculine, special person. Um, I I have to wonder if that kind of sentiment, or at least something that is related to it, isn't brought to most of our (laughs) sexual dynamics. Well, exactly. Like, when we had... I think I say this once a week, so it's boring. I apologize, listeners. But when Ryan O'Connell came on the podcast, he said, you know, straight men are in hell. Because actually, I think straight men are bringing straight men to the bedroom as well and acting like straight men, you know. And actually, that's an idealized version of who they are, that they're having to perform if they're with a straight woman, for example. And she's performing a straight woman. It's wild. It's the funny little stage play of humanity where it's just like, we have to actually stop and think to remember that everyone else is putting on a show as well. Like we think we're Mm -hmm. the only ones that are really (laughs) performing for other people, which is funny and interesting because obviously the other person is probably doing that as well. In fact, not probably, but definitely is because I think that anytime we're communicating with another person, anytime that we are expressing ourselves to another person, Mm. that is an imperfect process. It It isn't like we're telling the complete, whole, unmitigated truth of ourselves in every interaction. We are trying to use language to express a certain thing, to get a certain reaction, to get a certain kind of information over to the other person, and also hopefully uh, bait a certain reaction out. And so in that process, a lot of it is performance. A lot of it is um, drama. And so... I find that interesting to embrace rather than reject because I think the impulse is like, well, that that means it's fake or that means it's inauthentic or that means that, uh, you know, it's not genuine when in fact I think that we struggle to be genuine. In fact, it's almost impossible. And so it's interesting to look at the ways we try to portray ourselves in an attempt to embody a certain person or make ourselves feel better or i mean it's just like it's inescapable it's what we have to do because we're human yeah and do you think as well that if you're queer in any way you are very used to code switching so i can like be joke masculine be joke feminine be joke da 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 you know and move between them with my friends like Mm -hmm. and 
we all totally get what the other person is doing in and out, in and out, up, you know, and like someone was talking the other week and I know this is a bit of a hot topic, but it was happening and I was there. So um, I'm simply reporting. Uh, Another gay man I was talking to was referring to another gay man at the other end of the table and was oscillating between referring to that man as she and him. And the straight woman we were with was like, sorry, what's going on? Who, what, which, what, <laughs> but I, I was like, oh, I totally followed the thread. I knew, I knew that we were still talking about the same person, but it's <laughs> that kind of code switching thing, isn't it? That is, yeah. I don't know, it feels, it feels related. So here's what I think. I think that language is like 90% of human reality. And I think that, for example, clothing is a language. Mannerisms are a language. And when it comes yes. to language like that, Queer people are utterly fluent because we've had to think very hard about it. I mean, if you are, for example, um, being bullied or being attacked as a child because of certain mannerisms you're giving off, it makes you stop and think, like, why are they doing this? Um, Is it something that I either want to lean into or is it something that I want to hide? Um, You have to think very intensely about what messages you're sending out, even subtly, in a world where the consequences could be violence. And so when you think about like the way we dress, the way we talk, the way we act in public, we've had to really, really think hard about these things, which I think leads to a really high degree of competency and fluency in them, which Mm. is why it's sort of like, we tend to be so good at flipping back and forth between these um, unnamed languages of, you know, this is how we are amongst our other queer friends. This is how we are amongst a largely straight group of people. This is how we are when we're applying for a job. This is how we are when we're just in our house with our best friend or on the phone. It's like we get so used to these things that it leads to a very specific, unique, beautiful and tragic relationship with language that I think we have. Mm, So true. Have you ever been in love with a straight friend? Yeah, um, and I, I say that knowing that it's a little complicated because I'm just not certain if this guy was straight. <laughs> um, like, I think in the bottom of my heart, yes, I think he's straight. Um, obviously, with the caveat of, like, what does straight mean? You know, is anyone ever mm. really truly all the way, like you know, completely heterosexual or even homosexual, I don't really know. Um, That's Mm -hmm. not something that I am an authority to define for someone else. Mm -hmm. But I do know that in this case that this is a guy who was very interested in dating women who only ever expressed interest in women and who our affections for each other were very much kept under lock and key, were sort of quiet, uh, were things that we didn't really talk about outside of being in the car together or in the same room together. Um, And I think the most interesting part of that for me wasn't his sexuality. It was the love itself, which (laughs) I think really informed my take on love that made me really see love the way I see it, which is sort of like this involuntary, scary selfish, hungry thing that just wants to take up all your time, take up all your other emotions, take up everything that else is going on in your life and sort of subsume it into its project. Uh, Mm. I found that part (laughs) the most compelling because him being straight or whatever, yes, it brought a lot of obstacles and the, the, the gap between what I wanted and what um, I could reasonably have was important. But 
it's the love itself that that really showed up later with my other relationships with men. And I think it was the most informative part. Mm. And do you think that there is anything with, uh, you know, some people say, oh, of course you fancy straight people because they're unobtainable. Is there anything in that whole concept? Yeah, I think that it's often the case that people want what they can't have or want what they think is just out of reach. And I don't think it always has to do with prizing masculinity above all other things. I think that there are obviously cases where people want another person they can't have for other reasons. Like, let's just say that, oh, this person's very popular, or this everyone thinks this person is funny, or they have a huge online presence, or they're a little celebrity, or they're just prettier. <laughs> uh, I think things like that get brought to the equation all the time. It's not always just like, oh, I was raised to prize, to prize masculine men, and that's why I want straight people. Obviously, that's a factor, and that happens quite a bit, but uh, it, it, obviously there's a lot more going on. Yeah, it's interesting. It's... um. Well, I'll read you another one, actually. Mm-hmm. Nina has written it. She said, when I was in secondary school, I was friends with this beautiful girl who was about three years older than me. She was very confident and always talked to me about all the boys she was dating, talking to. While I usually felt annoyed and left out when my friends were talking about boys, with her, I didn't mind because it gave me an excuse to be with her and imagine myself as one of them. Lol. I knew the whole time that there was no way she would be interested in me, so I distanced myself for a bit from her, which made me feel like a shitty friend. Eventually, I did come out to her, and she was really nice about it. We don't speak anymore, but I have very fond memories of her. It's funny, isn't it, that thing of, uh, like, I remember having a situation like Nina when I was really young. I would have been seven um so it wasn't sexual before people start writing in um but there was this older guy at school like two years older as in like he was i I can't have been seven this must have been when i was 11 anyway uh but i was really besotted with this boy at school older boy or whatever and i could tell that he was aware i was besotted with him and he liked that but he wasn't interested Mm -hmm. back if that makes Mm -hmm. any sense and have you ever had like I've been on the receiving end of that many times in my life where it's like a yeah. a guy has clocked that you're gay, clocked that you fancy him, and then I feel like a mouse being played with by a cat. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that I'm extremely stubborn and I'm also extremely <laughs> proud. So that kind of protects me where I feel like if if I know that I'm giving someone something they're after from me and I'm not really getting anything out of them, I just get bitter and I just cut them off immediately. I'm just <laughs> like, no, who do you think you are? <laughs> um, and I'm just, I, I, I stop pretty immediately because I, I have this one um, straight friend who I love dearly and I started getting a whiff of that where it was just like, he thought that I thought he was attractive. And that's why I was friends with him. And so I just had to be like, listen, unfortunately, I, I just find you pleasant to be around. It has nothing to do with your looks. I'm sorry. <laughs> like you're, I'm sure you're a very attractive man. Um, but uh, unfortunately for you, you are safe here. I'm not going to flirt with you. <laughs> yeah, you kind of want to say that, don't you? Just be like, oh. excuse me. You know what? Just because you're straight doesn't mean I want to jump you. Um, exactly. And that kind of assumption. I'm trying to think of a way to tell this story that doesn't incriminate anyone. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Many years ago, there was a guy who I used to do exercise with years and years ago. um, And he 
used to give me this look, like, mm-hmm. look, chin down, eyes up, like these puppy dog eyes at me. And I, he never <laughs> did it to anyone else except me, and he was totally straight. And it used yeah. to really bug me when he did it, because it was like, I don't know, it's just, there can be a thing with straight men, and I'm generalizing, and I'm so sorry, um, to Katie, Katie's mum and Katie's mum's husband. Um, if that there is a kind of... Um, I don't know. They're trying to make sure that you are within their control. Does that make any sense? Yep. Or is that me just being paranoid and angry? No, I, I think that people in general need a lot of validation and they go looking for it in odd places. And mm. so it makes a lot of sense when, especially, I think people really like it when <laughs> it, it's almost like, oh, but I also have no obligation to really return anything to this person. Um, it, it's just mm. like, it's nice to have. Also, I think, Gay male compliments are so sought after for some reason, like amongst broad <laughs> swaths of the population, you know, where it's like, oh my god, a gay guy complimented me because I think the stereotype is that we're like mean and that like we, we only tell the truth because we don't like saying nice things about people. So if you if we wow. say something good about you, that means you must really be fierce, Miss Thing, or something like that. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's a really interesting. Isn't it also that actually, because I have had that before where women have asked me to tell their straight husbands what to wear for example mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. and then the husband's like he liked my jumper because we're supposed to be some kind of barometer of taste yeah i which... mean isn't that like what queer eye is built on <laughs> like it's yes. just like come in and fix my slovenly straight husband <laughs> yeah my straight friend or whatever um yeah which is interesting because i know a lot of gay people who don't have anything together um if they're listening right now i hope they feel seen you look terrible (laughs) (laughs) i mean listen queer people are like the best dressed and the worst dressed and i i put myself Uh, in the latter category absolutely true (laughs) there's no in between whatsoever now that's the end of part one more to come in part two so head over to the feed click on part two Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Powered by Spirit Studios.